Today on Chase Wildly, I talk with Mark Haviland. He is a transformational body worker, an urban shaman, and an absolute joy in my life. I first went to Mark to explore the emotional aspects of my own chronic pain. On his massage table, he has pressed on almost every nook and cranny of my own body and on my psyche. And our relationship has quickly become one of the more intimate and rewarding relationships I have with another man in my life. We talk about healing the deep wounds, welcoming grief into your life, and circumcision. So get excited. Let's go. Um, I want to talk about what just happened <laughs> as a way of explaining what you did. What just What did happened? you do to me? Um, and so I just came out of the massage room or the mas- off the massage table. Mm-hmm. I can't even call it a massage room because what <laughs> happens in there is so more than that. Yeah, um, it is more than that. How did... Help me, because I even want to understand better, what are you doing from the moment that I walk in to walk out? How are you helping me? <clears throat> well, uh, the, I'll start with, I can't help you, heal you, or fix you. It's not my job. I, 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 I meet you where you are. I accompany you. From the moment I open the door and you're at the gate with your arms wide open and we're just like, hey, like just excited to see each other because we're so in it from when I saw you months ago two days and pretty much in a row yeah you know with a day off in between and uh we just you know your your ability to to just jump right in allows me to be able to make my work more fluid and i'm not it's not like i'm pushing boulders up a mountain for some Mm. people it's like that for you it was like i was creating um an art piece, mm-hmm. like painting a picture, and you just brought me all the colors. <laughs> is what it feels like. That's what it was. Just so emergent and alive mm. and vulnerable, and you just you didn't you didn't resist me, mm-hmm. but you you were feeling your own resistance. Mm-hmm. So, that, and I've never quite said it that way before. So, what happened today was way different than the first couple times because the first couple times we were excavating. Mm-hmm. We were like you had your breathing. We had, you know, doing deep tissue body work. We had a whole setup of where you've come from, what you're messing with, what you know you're conscious of. And then, of course, the iceberg underneath the surface of all the shit you don't know what the fuck's going on. Right. Which comes to the surface on the table. Mm-hmm. So uh, today was different in that we, we had already bonded. Mm-hmm. It wasn't our first meeting. We were just like in it. Right. Yeah. We just, there's so much love and respect. And um, that bond is really the healing. Hmm. It's the bond in a therapeutic relationship. Mm-hmm. Everything else is just icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. The body work, talk therapy, any, of, any sort of therapeutic relationship, it's all about the bond, which then there is trust. If there's trust, then there's vulnerability. If there's vulnerability, then there's intimacy. If there's intimacy, then bling. That's where the healing happens. That's it. Yeah. It's the intimacy that creates the healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately, it's about just remembering that we don't have to heal because we already are. Then there's that. We're peeling all, peeling it all away. 
because in remembering that we're already healed, we realize that those things that te- that's telling us we're not is just fear. These layers of fear that are keeping us in what seem to be broken states. Sure. And f- how do we know what healed is if we don't know what broke? If we don't aren't broken. <laughs> so then we get to that kind of you know non-dualistic you know clusterfuck paradoxical conundrum, which we t- started with, right? Yeah. That like. <laughs> You know, that's, it, it's, it's interesting because I've been doing this for 17 years and, and been with thousands and thousands of people and heard some of the most horrendous stories that I will not repeat. Mm-hmm. It's a burden, that, a conscious burden that, I'm choose, that, I, that I have to carry. And yeah. I'm honored and, and it's a privilege to carry. Um, that there is true evil in the world. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it. And, and I've heard it. I've heard the scream mm-hmm. coming out of people. So, for me to be able to accompany somebody to their darkest place is, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what to say about it. It, it. it is the most honorable thing to do for me mm-hmm. in, in humanity, for me, to be of service in yeah. that way. Because I've been there, and I was accompanied there yeah. in my own journey with mentors and teachers and people and friends and, you know, strangers. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Pick me off the sand, you know, literally. So, um, what happened in there was, I, I've. It was almost like I was tuning a Ferrari. Ah, ah. I like where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> tell me more. Tell me more. Um, like, does he have a car? Okay. Um, I will break into song. So <laughs> I have this thing called musical Tourette's. Um, it really was. Uh, you know, we kind of started with the, the kind of metaphor for the session was um, resistance to opening, mm-hmm. right? And then we kind of played with that whole idea of what does that mean, resistance to opening. And we were, you were looking at the front of your hip. Yeah. And really, we kind of found out that actually it was the back, the glute, right? The sacrum that was kind of like there was something stuck in the doorway, mm-hmm. not actually keeping you from opening the door. Because you have desire and will. Mm. And I can't give you those things. You have to bring that. When you have desire and will, then, 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 I can, then we can work. Because mm-hmm. you're doing the work. You know you're doing the work. And you know there's more work to do. <laughs> there's actually so much work that there's, we're not going to be able to do it all. Mm-hmm. In this lifetime. <sighs> or ever. So we can just fucking relax. Yeah. Even though we're working our asses off. Because you're not going to graduate, dude. So we can work our ass off and relax. And it, exactly. The same That's time. the whole point. The byproduct of doing the work is so you can fucking relax yeah. and enjoy right where you are. Yeah. Whether it be with your mom, your dad, yeah. you're, you're the stra- a homeless guy on the street, uh, mm-hmm. but with yourself, with your cat, with your dog, whatever. In pain, mm-hmm. if you have a broken leg, whatever. You're with that right now. Yeah. With the pain. So relax wherever you are. I mean, it's it, it's cliche, you know. Be right where you are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's only that here is all there is. Yeah, everything else is an illusion. Right. And but we spend so much time living in what we want it to be, mm-hmm. or what it should be, or what it's been. That's that's what creates suffering. If you're willing to share some of your own journey, how did you <laughs> arrive? At this place where you're, where you're helping people in this way. Well, I uh, through my own healing crisis, my own 
you know, dark night of the soul, yeah. if you will. Um, I, you know, I, I went, it's a long story. I'm writing a book called... Well, yeah, let me say real quickly. Yeah. What you do, Mark, is not... I mean, you know this, your, your business... Uh, is called Beyond Bodywork, mm -hmm. and it does not relate to massage at all, in my opinion. I mean, it's so, it is truly so much beyond that. There's a spiritual aspect, there's this creating trust, this relational aspect, that's a huge part of it. We talk about certain things that are happening, you tell me stories about your life. There's this exchange, we've created a relationship, mm -hmm. truly, mm -hmm. To hold space for for you almost just to watch me work through stuff in my life. Whatever is there next, and then next, and then next. And I would change watch to witness. To witness. There's a difference. To witness it. And then, and so, why am I asking this question? I'm asking this question because, yes, people go to massage school, and then they start working on people, and then they think they're healing people. Right. But you have this whole other thing that you've developed through experience. Mm -hmm. um, and so you were saying it started through your own dark night, through your own... Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't go to... I actually, it's actually flipped. I didn't go to massage school to heal people. I went to massage school to heal myself. Mm -hmm. Right? And, and, and that massage school was just a part of that process. Because I, I mean, I, I basically, in a nutshell, I'm writing a book called um, To the Edge and Back, The Journey of a Suicidal Shaman. Okay. And I got that title in ICU after stabbing myself, mm. after Burning Man. Mm. So, and, and, and to drop that bomb here and then not be able to unpack it. So, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long, beautiful story. I wouldn't change it for anything, not a, a single grain of sand for a mm. second. Because I know that, that I went through the eye of the needle and came out the other end of it. And literally after that moment, after that day... In ICU, nine months later, I was graduating from the Acupressure Institute in Berkeley with my first kind of practitioner diploma. And so that moment, I had to go to that darkest place. And again, of course, there's like stories within stories within stories of that particular experience. Um, but I had to cut it out. I had to take my life into my own hands. Mm. Now, granted, I can be a drama queen and I, you know, went there. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm still, big. I had to go big, <laughs> go big or fucking go home, right? And, and that's basically what I did. But I, you know, I, it, it's, um, I'm still unpacking it. Mm -hmm. I'm still mining that experience, and I will for the rest of my lifetimes. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not really trying to understand it anymore. I for sure did, and it took me years to um, come to a place of honoring it. Because for a long time I felt guilty, like God wouldn't take me into His embrace or its embrace. Because mm -hmm. God isn't a He. Uh, <laughs> that's a different conversation, um, <laughs> which we might get into. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of I, I went to my dark place, mm -hmm. and and I survived. But now I'm thriving, mm -hmm. and I and I accompany people, and usually people come to me when they're a fucking mess. Really, I prefer it. Mm -hmm. If you're listening to this, don't come to me unless you're a fucking mess. <laughs> Because there's no, I can't work with you unless you, if everything, you think everything's going good. If you're identified with the facade that you've created or that your domestication has created, and you're identified with that, go, go get a massage at a spa. Don't come to me because mm -hmm. you're not ready. And I, and I don't want to waste my time or yours. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I feel now. I'm kind of curating my own practice now, and that has a life of its own. So people, people know I don't do massage now. 
And so people come to me, they, they've heard through a friend or a sister or a mom or a cousin or an aunt, and that's how they find me, because they know that it's beyond body work. And massage is part of it. It's, in, it's one of the pillars in, in the foundation of what I do, for sure, because mm-hmm. you're on a massage table, you're in that kind of setting, but for sure, we're coming at it from all, it's a multidimensional, multifaceted experience where I, I'm tracking every little eyebrow raise to a breath, to a pause, to a, to a word that you say, taking that, leading us to what, something your mom said when you were three, you know, just like, boom, 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 we track the whole thing, and I love it, obviously. Is this something you were trained in, or is this sure. your genius? What? Yes. <laughs> yeah, both. <laughs> well, I mean, we're all genius, right? If sure. we allow ourselves to be ourselves, because we're all genius, right? Yeah. And that's what I love to do is get into people's genius, because we all are. Um, we're, we're just trying to be other people or other experiences. We actually mm-hmm. live through other people's lives than our own, mm-hmm. right? And that's how we're programmed. Yeah, we link on to their archetype because yeah. we we're conditioned that way, and then yeah. we're chasing that. Yeah. It's a narcissistic loop. Yeah, good. Aren't we having fun? Um, <laughs> it's a, it gives you know it's it's a job security for me. <laughs> I mean, keep come on, let's keep doing this. Um, wait, what were what were we saying? Oh gosh. Oh, oh uh, yeah, training of course. I mean, yeah, I, I did. Uh, I've done training for uh, Thai massage. I've done acupressure, five element theory, Chinese five element theory, all of that stuff. Um, used to do body work for marathons and triathlons, and used to do body work for these martial arts e- exhibitions. Mm. So I did all kinds of different stuff, and you know, along that way, I I met my main mentor teacher in the body work is Dr. Fred Midtower and his wife Cheryl, who live in Mendocino, and they created this school 45 years ago called Pacific School of Massage. And they've been teaching people this thing called transformational body work for decades. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I went, met him through several different people in my circles way back in the day, 15 years ago, 14 years ago. Um, and we actually met when we were, um, this was, I, we met, our first met Fred and Cheryl um, about five months after my experience i call it my experience mm. and of stabbing of stabbing yeah, yeah. i was still like i mean I, I had lost i mean i was 140 pounds yeah. which is 35 pounds lighter than i am now kind of like i didn't have an ass like whoop, like nothing mm. um and i was still kind of coming back and we we were in a drum making circle together and that's how i met fred and cheryl um and of course although i've heard about them and he looked at me and he goes we're gonna work together he just knew we just knew so I go there, I take his, cor- his beginning course up in Mendocino for two weeks, and then he's like, we're sitting in the sauna, and he's like, you got to come to level one next month. And I'm like, I'm still paying for this. He goes, doesn't matter. We'll work that out. Just come. So I did two weeks of the original training, level one in December, and then I did level three in February, and then my practice literally tripled in three months. Mm. It, w- it went from seeing five people a week to 15. And it was just like, holy shit, my arms were aching and sore. It was a huge growing curve, to say the least. And from there, it just, I mean, that was about 13 years ago. And from there, it's just been this fucking, uh, talk about a train ride, man. Yeah. Full force, I mean, balls to the wall, boom. And it, and it hasn't slowed down. Yeah. And... I've had to adapt and change and grow and shit shedding away, you know, and I did all the different level level courses with Fred 
from bringing um, existing clients to him and working with him to assisting all of his workshops to co-teaching. And actually, we're doing another workshop uh, training in February where we're going to co-teach uh, bodywork training. So it's very much alive. Um, so that's kind of, he taught me how to go into the not knowing. Because mm -hmm. you have to, you don't, you don't know what's going to come out. You don't know what's inside of you. Right. There's a layer of that you do that's kind of pointing the way. But the, if the, the more I get the fuck out of the way and you are, have the will and the desire and the openness to change, that's the alchemy. Mm -hmm. I have to get out of the way, even though I am accompanying you. I don't know. So I'm, I'm responding in the moment to what's revealing itself. I evoke, obviously, when I stick my elbow in your back. Yeah. And then my elbow and your glute at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that pain is actually your salvation because you're feeling your own pain. Mm. And you're breathing into it and you're metabolizing it and you're honoring it. And that is what transforms you because we spend so much time avoiding our pain in our, this world. Take a pill. I mean, good Lord. I mean, if you watch, if you watch any TV, you see all the drug commercials. <laughs> take a pill. Yeah. But then the side effects are worse than what you're taking the fucking pill for. Yeah. Because then you take a pill for the pill. So we're in this whole other like... Whew. Hell yeah. On. Take well, a big breath. When I was in there, I, that's the exact experience I went through. One in which, oh my God, this is painful. Oh my God, I don't know if I can handle this. And then, well, is it really that painful? Hmm. How long can I really handle this? Mm -hmm. Well, I guess I could handle this forever, really. Nothing's breaking. I can tell nothing's breaking in my body. Mm -hmm. It's and, and at its core, it's not even pain as much as it's a discomfort, just something I want to escape. Mm -hmm. Just a sensation I'm trying to escape. Right. And I had that experience today on the table and thought that exact thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think I was with you. Well, I was with you the whole time. <laughs> I, I just left for a minute and came back in. Um, no, there, there's this moment where that dialogue that's happening, that kind of conscious dialogue, we're trying to understand what the fuck's going on, right? Because you're also trying to get in your head to get away from the pain, to understand it rather than just fucking feel it. Mm -hmm. And then let it feel you, right? There's this place where those things meet, because really what you're tapping into is things that got left behind. Things you packed away. Something mm -hmm. someone said to you 30 years ago that was a fucking lie where they judged you or they're projecting onto you and you plugged it in and it's in your shoulder for 30 years and then, it adds on, then you put layer on top of layer on top of layer on top of layer where you know, our inner voice is, is our, how our parents talked to us. And all that's in our bodies. Sometimes it seems so outrageous to me when things come up in these sessions at how seemingly tiny they can be. And I think I struggled with this in my life, the idea that, oh, my, my trauma is not big enough, so I don't deserve to hurt as much as I'm hurting or mm -hmm. to suffer or to be sad or to really be angry because those things weren't actually that big. And yet, when we're working through these things, you and I together and I get to something, it's oftentimes, like you said, is. It's a single instant, a single comment from a single pissed off adult. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't that I had an abusive relationship with that person. Or that person may have only existed in my life for 30 seconds, but mm -hmm. they were an adult. It was the right structure. Yep. And yet I'm holding this thing in my, in my back or my shoulder for yep. 30 years. Yep. 
And that, that's, that's one example, and, and obviously we all experience those things and we all have trauma, right? Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed a lot is that the comparison of trauma, which I see all the time. And actually people have asked me, why don't you go do this work in Africa or India, or uh, which I've been to both those places. But um, well, I, should, I wouldn't say I've been to Africa, I've been to Kenya. It's way different. Africa's huge, right? So I'll say that. Um, what I've noticed in this, because I really work with affluent people, really. Mm-hmm. Come on. We have houses over, you know, we have, right. we have I live in a three-bedroom flat in San Francisco by myself. <laughs> Give me a fucking break, okay? Talk about privilege. Um, and I don't, but I don't feel guilty for it, <laughs> right? I work my ass off for it. But what I've, what I've noticed is I work with people that, because because of the way the world is and we're so interconnected through our phones and our technology, we can see what happens instantaneously all over the world. Earthquakes, floods, famines, refugees, I mean, uh, all, all, all across the board. And we compare that trauma to a mother losing their child or to you know, a son getting his leg blown off, whatever, that to our trauma of my dad yelled at me all the time when I was a little boy and was a tyrant, that we think we don't have trauma because we don't have that kind of trauma. So then we just like whoop, skip over it mm-hmm. and don't deal with it. Or even shame ourselves well, for having it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's when it, we start to become the tyrant to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we actually create this hole in the basement and bury it there and then put six feet of concrete on top of it. And then we live upstairs underneath the floorboards. Now, above the floorboards. So what happens when people come to me is they start to smell something in their life. Mm-hmm. They got a great job. They get, they're in a, in a happy, quote-unquote, happy marriage. They have beautiful kids. Mm-hmm. They have family and friends that love them. And they, they have money in the bank. Why am I feeling this way? Yeah. Why am I depressed? Okay, so I'll take a pill to get rid of the depression. The depression is just your body telling you that you have a backlog you got something buried in the basement that's starting to rot and smell. So there's the process there. But then you start to hear a this kind of scratch underneath the floorboards, if you're fucking lucky, because you're haunted by the thing that got buried. Now, this is your own trauma, let alone the shit you inherit from your parents. The epigenetic, emotional, psychological trauma that gets passed down from generation to generation. Now, shamans and medicine men and women have known this for hundreds, if not thousands of years, but now that Western medicine has finally proven that trauma can get passed down through the DNA, now we can, let's get the fucking work. Mm-hmm. Now we can do it, okay? Because the Western mind, the illogical mind, now we can do that work. So, um, you, you, you have to be in crises. You have to be in a place where it's not comfortable anymore, or you're not numbed out, even though we try to numb ourselves out with alcohol, sex, right. p- all the pills, Right, depression and anxiety, pain. Um, we can also do a lot of workshops and trainings and distract ourselves in that and hide in the spiritual journey, which I see a lot of. Mm. What does that look like? Spiritual bypassing. It drives me fucking insane. It drives me crazy. I love it. And it drives me crazy because people are hiding in their spirituality and they, they kind of skip over the meat and like, oh, everything, we're all one. Mm. And how I like to describe it is you go into these yoga studios and they have a lotus, a picture of a lotus on the wall. Like, oh, this is a place of joy, and mm, which is great. I mean, I have nothing against joy. I love joy, all right? 
But how does that flower become? Mm -hmm. The stem, the roots, in the mud, which has a bunch of frog and fish shit. Mm -hmm. That's spirituality. Mm. Where the dead animals yep. and the shit... The decay. The decay. The nutrients. Melds together and becomes... What something else will literally feed on. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's the work that I do, is I go into the mud with people. Mm. And if they come in in a spiritual bypass, then I just get my baseball bat out. Mm. Right? It, you know, figuratively, obviously. I mean, maybe I, should, I have a rolling pin sitting right there, and I could get that. Something <laughs> my, one of my that. other teachers yeah. said to me, he goes, ain't nothing a ball peen hammer between the eyes can't cure. Yeah. It's like, boom, you need to get smacked around. And if you, if, if, if you don't smack yourself around or you don't hire somebody to do it for you, life will do it for you. Yeah. And you will get a divorce, car crash, somebody dies, something's going to happen. Right. Well, this spiritual bypass is something I hadn't thought about it that way before. I had always thought, well, hey, good. At least if they're, you know, choosing a new ego attachment, it's in the realm of mindfulness. But does it actually not get them any closer to, to healing if it's not attacked in the right way, if it's not, not attacked, but approached? Well, it's also part of the process. Okay. Then there's that, right? Yes, it drives me crazy um, because I think it's supposed to. Mm. You know, in, in my job, and I'm sure somebody listening to this is going to be like, well, aren't you supposed to meet people where they are? Yes, I do meet them where they are. And I put a mirror up and I go, you're full of shit. <laughs> Actually, you're ignoring that you're full of shit. <laughs> and that's the, you know, that's the, we want to get into the mud. We want to understand what's going on. Because people are like, oh, I, I want to feel good, so I'm not going to feel bad. Right. When you do that, you're, it's, it's a setup right, right away. Yeah. Because you have to feel bad so that you can feel good. You know, it's this, I know it sound, it's, it's a cliche, but it's true. It is a cliche. And I'm finding it more and more true in my own life. Um, I, I can't help but think immediately of what a rite of passage is when we say about you need to be in crisis mm -hmm. to realize that you want to change. And if I think back through, you know, what I know of rites of passage, it is the the creation, the the manifestation intentionally of the tribe of crisis for an individual, mm -hmm. to put an individual into crisis to force, it sounds like, this sort of transformation that you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. And that's, you know, that's, and I use that analogy all the time with that tribal culture, which, which we've obviously lost. And actually, we see them as primitive and not evolved. But actually, it's, I'm noticing that we've kind of de-evolved. Um, and they've kind of, they're the ones who are, have, who are evolved because um, mm -hmm. they're in tune and at one with nature, right? In harmony with nature. Um, to where we try to control it and dominate and nature's here for us, which is insane. And look at the world. The world's insane right now. And it's beautiful. Insanely beautiful. How, yeah, yeah. It's, it's insanely beautiful. So how do you have to hold both those at the same time? That's right. when you're free, so you can hold both of them. But the, you know, the, the men in the tribe, at let's say 13 or younger, take the boy from the mother, mm -hmm. usually violently at night. And take him into the man hut and teach him man things, whatever that might be, which we're probably going to get into. And then they send him off into the wilderness by themselves to find their spirit animal for two weeks or whatever. You can't come back until you find your spirit animal, right? That transforms the boy into a man. Now that 
this is why, you know, in, in Judaism, the bat mitzvah, bar mitzvah is that 13. You know, 13 is a pretty, you know, you just, you're not a, a preteen, you're a teenager. 13 is usually right around the same age that, that, that girls have their first period. Mm-hmm. You know, boys started discovering their sexuality, you know, some of us earlier than others. You know, I definitely started when I was 11. Um but there, there's this in, this, in this day and age with, you know, the internet and, and computers, and, and I think people are, are, and all the hormones and the food, you know, you can just go on and on and on and on, that people are uh, sexualized earlier, and their childhood is impinged upon more than it ever has been. Mm-hmm. So then we have to transform somehow, because we have to. It's, it's, our, it's, in our, it's in our DNA. We have to transform. We have to evolve. And if we don't have these these cultural, uh, tribal, um, initiatory phases that are in place and contained and held by the elders, then it gets kind of stuck or gets on a loop. And then that's when people act out in cars, alcohol, partying, drugs, getting tattoos. Hello, I've got tattoos all over the place. We have to we have to create our own transformation and it's mainly unconscious and it isn't contained and it isn't you don't have a older elder the elder relationship in our culture is fucked up because mostly people put the elders in a home so that they fucking deal with it and they visit them once a month or once a week or once every 6 months or not at all. Yeah. We live in a youth narcissistic based culture. Which is, don't get me started. Oh, that, that's, wait, we're here to get me started. Yeah, right? that's yeah. exactly what we're here. <laughs> so, so that's when um, that's where this work comes in. Mm-hmm. It's an antidote to that numbed out, apathetic, um, narcissistic, uh, you know, insanity that we are domesticated in, mm-hmm. culturally, societally. Familiarly, and and you you know it, it's uh, I call it an emotional generational virus that's passed down from generation to generation. The parents did their best, and they did their worst, yeah. and it's our duty to do the work that they couldn't do, mm-hmm. and that's what we're doing. That's what we did on the table with you, and that's what I do with everybody, including myself. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's the work that never ends. Exactly. Right? And and yet, at some point, cultures had had discovered a way to prompt this in people, and we don't have that in the same way. We don't have it in the same way. And so we're getting to, let's see, I was 28, 29 when things really started falling apart, and it's been almost six years of me unpacking this stuff and and still going through waves of depression through the, the past six years mm-hmm. as well. Um, so what do we do? Well, I mean, when you say 2829, I also that's when I had my first pop was 2829. And you know, that's Buddha. That's when he left his family mm-hmm. and his fortune and his, you know, his royalty. So we're Buddha, you and me, is Jesus. That what you're saying. <laughs> 29. Yeah. When he started teaching. St. Francis, I mean, you look, at, you look back in time at people that made huge impacts in humanity and their, their impacts are still rippling. They had these, these pla- places where they wake up where, or something, come, something shit hits the fan or bling, you know, transformation happens on some level. So there is also, beyond societal, tribal things, human things, there's also 
you know, energetic or astrological influences, gravitational pulls, Saturn return, if you were going to go into ast astrologically yeah, speaking, right. 28 to 32. It's an initiatory phase that everybody has to go through. It's just the Saturn comes back to the same place it was when you were born. It's mathematics. Mm -hmm. It's gravitational, right? It's been with us, and humans have been flirting with that for thousands of years. Yeah. Thousands of years? Thousands? <laughs> well, I don't know when Galileo or Copernicus or somebody back then, I don't know if it was 1100, you know, something, something back then there. You got me. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so there's also life will transform you. Mm -hmm. And the question is how much are you going to resist it? And that, that's, that's that ratio, you plug all this into the equation and, that, and then you get beep, the, the, the answer spits out of how much suffering you're going to go through. Yeah. Right? Uh, pain's inevitable. Mm -hmm. we're, we're, we're infinite, infinite eternal beings in these finite little bodies thinking that we're separate when we're really whole. And we're, you know, so it's set up for us to be in pain. The question is, can we accept it? It's like the Buddhists, you know, mm. they're suffering and then they're suffering. Yeah. Well, can we accept it is one question. And then another question is, what can we do as community? What can we do with consensus? What ideas can we exchange that are better ideas for how to bring each other through this hand in hand? Instead of what feels like a very isolated culture these days. Sure. It's very isolated. I mean, isolation is, is, isolation is the byproduct of the... <laughs> the denying of the pain mm. because then you can't be authentic and if you're not authentic then you're not going to have really have community mm. really so uh, you know it, it, it's it's a, it's this loop it's this kind of broken record and, and it's it's holographic meaning you have to do your work it comes down to the individual doing their work and, and another thing is we have all these, you know, especially in, in the United States, which I've been through. I just did a 31-state, 17,000-mile cross-country journey a couple of years ago, and I really got to kind of see my own country. I've traveled all over the world, but I really wanted to see my own country. And, you know, there's a lot of amazing people doing incredible, deep, powerful work that you don't fucking see on TV, mm -hmm. that you don't hear about on the newspapers, People are doing amazing work. It, it increased my faith in humanity. Every day does. The courage and the vulnerability that I see every day. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think that's why I feel so buoyant in these dark times. But honey, it's, there's always dark times. Yeah. The world's always ending. There's always a tyrant somewhere doing something crazy. The, you know, he who shall not be named. Mm -hmm. um, and he's exactly who we need right now to wake the fuck up. Well, which we can get into the masculinity um, conversation um, but I, I want to finish this one thing about the, the initiatory phases that um, people that don't transform I, I don't even know if that's possible because everybody's on their own journey right they have their own lessons to learn they have their own timing they have their own um, soulful experience that they're here to learn and it's not my place to project my experience or how I would respond to a certain thing in a certain way and project that on somebody else expecting them to respond the same way. That's violent. Mm -hmm. So how can I be me and then engage in a situation with somebody else and, and, and see them? That's, that's the hardest thing in the world. How do we, how do we even do that? Because we're, we're always, we're constantly projecting 
our own experience or perception onto somebody else. And that's how we kind of meet. It's like, oh, how, do, how, would, how what's this word mean to you? Right? We have to create our own little language, which would be bonding or energetic or whatever. Um, so, speaking of community and how, how do we do this as a society, I, I think what, what, I'm, what pops in my head right away is grief, is death, is how our relationship with death is in the society. It's, it's, it's anesthetized. It's, um, you know, you have like three days gravely if you lose your parent, mm-hmm. which is completely insane. Um, and we're not really taught how to grieve because we have this really, we're afraid of death, which is like being afraid of breathing. Death is, it, there is no life without death. Yeah. It, it, we're all going to die. Yeah. So why are we afraid of it? Right. Well, and we put it, we take every chance we can, every opportunity to, to hide it in some corner, to, to move that body as quickly as we can into a place where no one else can see it. Embalm it. Embalm it. Put makeup on it, fix its hair, put a nice suit on it, lay it out. Pretend that it's still alive. My mom had left a beautiful corpse. Yeah. She was beautiful. And I, and I think, you know, I think that's, she wanted to leave a beautiful corpse. <laughs> she was a beautiful woman. But, you know, it, it, that wasn't her. That was a societal, kind of we're forced to do that, right? Um, and I think we, we try, we, we're not allowed, or, and we don't allow ourselves to be in our own pain, in our own grief, in our own suffering. So we can't be with anybody else's. So we try and fix it or make them feel better or try and take their pain away. And that, nothing is more violent than that. And I know it sounds crazy. Mm. But if you try and take somebody's suffering away or their pain away, it robs them of an opportunity to transform. It is, it is one of the ultimate travesties of a very profound, erroneous perception of what healing is. Yeah. It's really about accompanying, it's about witnessing somebody in their pain, being with them. It's just like, in, I love Judaism, and, I've, and I'm not really, I wasn't raised, raised religious, and I studied all the different religions to a certain degree, and Judaism definitely shines the brightest to me in many ways. I'm not Jewish, I'm Jewish. But uh, it's, it just shines bright to me. You can't see what I'm doing with my hand. But, yeah, you know, yeah. You know, yeah, whatever. Uh, I, I've never done a podcast before, so. <laughs> it's exciting and new. You're doing great. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Thanks. I get all nervous. Um, what was I saying? Judaism. Oh, has. yes. So when somebody, when somebody dies, you, you, know, you make food and go over to their house and you sit on the couch. Mm-hmm. And you're just with them. Yeah. You know, the body's on the kitchen table for two days, whatever. That doesn't happen like that anymore. I mean, in our culture, for sure. Mm-hmm. But that's the, that's the idea, is you just, you're with them. Right. Well, and, and as it used to be right before modern medicine modern medicine we would be with the body when they passed Mm -hmm. we would be sitting with them and watching all of the ugly stuff that happens when someone dies happen Mm -hmm. and we would be cleaning them ourselves Mm -hmm. and we would be taking their the body that we loved Mm -hmm. and saw as a human being and for that day of watching it die and cleaning it Mm -hmm. and moving it Mm -hmm. and burying it having a whole experience with that body of grief that we rob ourselves of mm-hmm. today, truly. 
Surely go to India. Go to Varanasi and see them carry bodies down the street and burn them at the river. So grief, so death. Yeah, dude. This relationship. Yeah. That's being able to honor and feel our own pain and suffering is what will transform the world. One household at a time. Clean your own fucking house. Quit worrying about Tibet and worry about your own relationship with your mom mm-hmm. or your sister or your brother or your dead dad, whatever. Do that work and work from there out. And then you can do work in the world, in the community. Now, some people can do it the other way around. They go off and they t- volunteer in Africa and India, and, and you know, which I've volunteered in a slum in Kenya. And, and I got to see hunger firsthand in the eyes of hunger, which I've never seen before. Walking through the shit, running through the streets where there's no running water, you know. But I tell you what, I saw more joy in those streets than I do here. Mm-hmm. Different kind of poverty here. Poverty of the soul. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a great article in the New Yorker called Thin Spaces, and it's about, uh, and now we're kind of going all over the place, but it's all connected. But um, yeah, when I was walking through the streets of Kibera, which is the slum in Nairobi, which is the capital of Kenya, it's like the size of Central Park, and there's a million point three people living in this slum. And literally, you drive out of the slum, and there's the fucking huge mall. The, 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 the contrast and disparity is just in, is, is mind-blowing. And if I wasn't in India for two months before that, that pre- prepared me to go there. Mm-hmm. But it really showed me how a majority of the world in humanity lives. Right? How, what a bubble Americans live in. We're 5% of the world's population. You know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's staggering. But I saw laughter and joy in these people dressed up in a suit walking through the dirt and the shit, running through the streets, and the smiles and the laughter, uh, it was astonishing to me. And those kids, oh my God. I, I, there was so much joy, I, I had to leave. I couldn't handle it. I hit my joy threshold. These kids, really? were, these kids were so excited to see us that I was just like, okay, I need to, I have, whoa. It was, I was exhausted, mm-hmm. right? Because you had to deal with the, with the joy and the complete and utter disparity there. Yeah. Anyway, so, you know, I think that for me, that's, that's my vision. That's my work. That's my purpose. It's why I'm here. It's why I'm doing my work with the people in my own work, of course, constantly. I mean, it's every client that comes in teaches me. Every client that comes in, I'm doing my work. You know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, an, it's, it's inevitable. It's, it's eventual. It, it's essential. Mm-hmm. What is your relationship with purpose? You just mentioned purpose. And that's something that since when I reached 28, it became a question that, that cropped up more and more so. Because part of my disease was was having done a lot in the world and made a lot of money, mm-hmm. and none of it felt purposeful. Mm-hmm. None of it was fulfilling me. Mm-hmm. And then this big looming question was, well, how do I figure out what is my purpose? How do I connect with that? What's your journey been in doing that? Purpose. Good question. Um, well, I, I think just off the top of my head, which is kind of all this is, 
Uh, purpose to me is, I'll, I'm just kind of see if I can articulate what it feels like. So I have to kind of translate. There, it's like there's this thing that opens up when, and, and we talked about earlier today. I think when we were in, before when we were setting up about. Do you get fed by doing that, right? Which is giving people massages, right? And for me, there's a place where me giving and taking care of somebody and administering them and 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 accompanying them is I, I'm in that energy. That that's that's for me too. Mm-hmm. There's a place where those two think those two two individuals meet in in a place of um, surrender. And skill and training mm. and intention and uh, purpose is something that's it's like a it's like a tapestry of all those things woven together is purpose. Purpose is something where you're uh, I think one of the pillars of purpose is um, being of service. Yeah. Ultimately, and, and I think that's the only way you're going to be fulfilled in life is to be of service. Mm-hmm. And being of service can be. Like last night, I went and got groceries, and I went to the store, and I passed, I passed two homeless people, curled up, because it was pissing rain last night, curled up in a doorway. One of them I know, his name is Rocky. The other guy I don't know, but I've interacted with both of them, because, you know, I'm in the hate street, and it's like, they're everywhere. Yeah. So I got two things of soup, on purpose, to give them hot soup. I'm not going to invite them in my home. I've done that before. In the past, <laughs> I've, I've given a whole, I've given this homeless guy a bath and fed him and get clothed him, and then of course he's still something, and I don't find out till a week later. But that's you know that's that's going to happen. But um, so you so you give them this gift. I this give them this gift of service of yeah. warm soup. Um, and I think purpose for me is all of those things combined. It's it's um, I, I'm, and I'm not sure if it, if there's an actual definition because it's so different for everybody, mm-hmm. right? But those those kind of archetypal themes of being of service, of being creatively expressing yourself, of you know using all the different skills and experiences you've, you've that you've had thus far and plugging it into a particular situation or a moment or a person. Yeah, that's purpose. And and you know the continuity of purpose over time. I think creates this momentum and this shakti. It has its own um, life force, and it and it is contagious. When someone's in their purpose, you know it, mm-hmm. and you want to be with them, and you want to spend time with them, yeah. or you take them with you, and you leave, and they're in your mind or mm-hmm. you're in your heart, or a song reminds you of them, or a word they said to you, or a phrase they said to you stays with you. Yeah, I mean Jesus. Hello, he's been he's been gone for how long? A couple thousand years, and he's still somebody was in their purpose. That's right. Hello. Well, and I think even your your hesitancy to to explain this with words is a great indicator that at least for me to find a purpose has been finding a certain feeling, not searching for the thing right. or the right idea. And how that felt, how the idea felt, but how an action felt, mm-hmm. and then the next action. And, and exactly this act of giving that seems to give you even more. Mm-hmm. 
And um, and it's a thin line because you can also get mixed up in, in oh gosh, well, if I give to that person, then I feel less bad about myself. Um, and that's something really different. To me, it really is a visceral, palpable, energetic exchange that seems to be raising the vibration of everything I'm doing and that other person is doing. And then I know I'm on the right track. And I haven't figured out what that, that long road is. And I'm sure purpose will take me on a winding path through life. I don't think you're supposed to know. Yeah. If you knew, you wouldn't do it. <laughs> That's probably true, too. I mean, wow, that sounds hard. But, right? <laughs> Fuck that. You want me to do what? No. Um, but, the, you know, there's this great, I forget where I heard it somewhere, read it somewhere, saw it somewhere, whatever, but it came in somewhere about, you know, you're supposed to know exactly like a car driving at midnight, right where the headlights are seeing. That's what you're supposed to see. Granted, we have, you know, you know the old saying, if you want to hear God laugh, tell me your plans, right? That's right. Same thing. <laughs> You know, and, and in the same vein, what what came in as as as, as we were talking and sharing was um, the only way you're going to get to your purpose is through your pain. Mm-hmm. It's like Joseph Campbell's quote that you know the, the 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 dark cave you fear to go into holds the treasure you seek. Yeah, and really, it's about being here. Mm-hmm. That's our purpose: is to be right here. And you can change the world. A barista on Hate Street can change the world if they're right there with you. Connecting. Being with them. Slowing down enough to look in their eyes, to hear exactly what they're saying, and mm-hmm. vice versa. Mm-hmm. Stopping the spin of the world around you. Yeah, most people are where they're going or where they've been. Mm-hmm. While they're walking down the street. Avoiding the rain. We're just having a moment here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Rumi would call it gazing into the eyes of the beloved. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of love. Tons of love. Yeah. It's delicious. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about masculinity. Let's. Because um, we're definitely in, in a particular place in the world right now for, where I think it's... And, and, I, and I'm going to go right back to the lotus. Mm-hmm. Interesting. The lotus, the flower itself, is masculinity. Hmm. And the roots... I had no idea. Well, I just, it just came to me as I was telling it before. I was like, oh, that's actually true. Because in Chinese five-element theory and Chinese medicine, the surface is, ma- is masculine, is the yang. And the yin is the deep, is the depths, is the inside. The yin is the underneath. Yeah. is the dark, is where all the nutrients is, where the power really is. Mm. The byproduct of the powerful feminine is masculinity. Mm-hmm. So our whole idea, what we've been fed for thousands of years, this you know, patriarchy, which has been demonized, which we'll get into in a second, which I think is very dangerous, is this idea that mascul- actually masculinity is femininity, and femininity is masculinity. The two are inseparable. And Meyer, hello. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I love drag queens. <laughs> <laughs> and also trans, the trans people, um, you know, which we can get into because it all, it's all connected. And, and uh, drag queens have been, are the shamans of, you know, the, the, queer, the queer movement, the queer people, the queer tribe of humanity. Of forever. Yeah. Forever. 
Definitely. You know, the Burdash, which is a Native American term for two-spirit. Mm. They were revered and honored in, in tribal culture, right? They had a place. Um, masculinity is, is, is fluid. Is, um, it feeds, it's like the yin and the yang symbol, right? You know, there's the yin and the yang. The yang has the yin and the yin has the yang. You know, they're, they're inseparable. Um, it's, it's the ideas and the, the erroneous notions and perceptions that we've been fed to keep us in control, to keep us not in our power. You're, you're, you are very attuned to your femininity mm-hmm. and your receptivity and your vulnerability. And that's what makes you a very powerful, beautiful man. Hmm. To me, that's the epitome of masculinity. Okay? The so, epitome of masculinity is to be comfortable in your femininity. Not just comfortable. To own. <laughs> it, it's to, to realize that the power, that real power is when they're both online. Mm, mm-hmm. It's not about, you know, let's get rid of the patriarchy. I'm like, well, what does that even mean? Right. No, that's not, that's, that's not healthy. Because it, then what you're doing is you're perpetuating the pattern of the old patriarchy. Destroy it. No. It's about, it's, it's about a, you know, the patriarch is gnawing its leg off right in front of us. Sure. On, exactly. I, mean, I, was, I watch the news every, on night, news every day bits. on the Twitter feed. It's, it's, it's constantly in our face. And, and you know what? There's nothing we can do. It has to gnaw its own leg off. Mm-hmm. Get your fucking box of popcorn, sit back and watch the show. Do your work. And keep working on yourself. And focus yeah. on yourself. How are you narcissistic? How are you selfish? Because mm-hmm. we all are. Yeah. This country breeds narcissism, mm-hmm. and especially this day and age. So, trans people, I feel, are the next wave of human evolution mm-hmm. and humanity transcending duality, embodied. Duality embodied. Yeah. Transcending a- duality because they are meshing masculine and feminine together and embodying that. Sure. Which way, you know, if you think about it, if you go back into our embryonic state, we all start feminine and then something pops out or something doesn't. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the root of human experience is femininity, mm-hmm. where the roots are. Yeah. So that's, that's my play on masculinity. And I think, uh, you know, there's great, you know, I, I, I'm kind of going off of what I read, what you sent me to kind of stir some things up. Yeah. Know? There's great books. Uh, one of my favorite books on masculinity is uh, King Warrior, Magician Lover. Mm, gorgeous book. Yum, I recommend that too. Uh, me. Yeah. Yum, yum. I've got goosebumps. Um, so good. King Warrior, Magician Lover, right? Those are four healthy male archetypes, but the only way they can, any, any, any one of those can get on is they all have to come online mm-hmm. at the same time. Because mm-hmm. you can't have a benevolent king without the lover. You can't have the lover without the wizard. You know, wizard. You know, this is all, this is all these different things going on. Um, I mean, the questions that are coming to mind for me are: Okay, how do we do some of that? Um, and, and you gave me this great compliment about how you see me, but I, I don't know how I've done some of that. Um, and by that, I mean, which is why you did it: femininity and masculinity feeling tough enough as a man or feeling masculine enough and somehow developing what we consider feminine aspects of well don't you notice how you just said tough and masculinity yeah right Mm-mm. well in, in joan rivers had a great great uh joke she said uh 
you know, they, they say toughness, grow some balls. Mm-hmm. But balls are fucking super sensitive, honey. You just need to grow a pussy because pussies take a pounding. <laughs> right? <laughs> Think about oh, it. Geez. Yeah, true story. Think about how just that, just that little saying about grow some balls mm-hmm. means you're tough. But actually, it's the complete opposite. It's the cle- our toughness exists in our femininity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you go back to Brene Brown, who is a hero. Brene yeah. Brown. She's magic. Oh, my God. W- what a blessing. And, and now she's worked her ass off. And, she, you, know, she, you know, she's the reluctant healer in her own right, as most of us are. But, you know, vulnerability. So what do we have to overcome as, as men, perhaps, in our idea about what masculinity is supposed to be? That's what you have to, to overcome. To get real. You have to overcome the complete farce that we have been indoctrinated to in our culture, and our families, in our history, in our DNA of what masculinity is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, men are taught to take and women are taught to be taken. Period. Mm-hmm. And the Me Too movement, Time's Up movement, all those things are, you know, obviously uh, countering those old, very old, Caveman old yeah. dragging the woman out of the cave. I remember seeing a cartoon as a little kid. This caveman dragging a, the yeah, cave woman likewise. out yeah. of the cave through her hair, mm-hmm. with her hair. That's how old this shit is. And it's going to take every ounce of our conscious ability to unravel this together. Mm-hmm. Not demonizing masculinity or demonizing the patriarchy. That's just perpetuating the pattern that we've inherited, which mm-hmm. is going to happen anyways, because that's how we're going to have to unravel it. Yeah. It's to realize that, oh, wait, uh, wait a minute, I'm just perpetuating it. Hold on. And it's about doing, it all comes back to doing your own fucking work. Mm-hmm. Being vulnerable, speaking your truth, crying, expressing what, what you're afraid of, mm-hmm. like you did with your friend. Yeah. You, halfway through, you're like, this is what I'm afraid of. And the moment that you both unleashed that, then you just dropped into the yum-yum. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mark's talking about, uh, I'm in a relationship right now, and had my girlfriend come visit me. And for three weeks, she stayed with me. And the first week was very hard. I felt trapped. And I'm, I felt trapped mostly because... I felt responsible for her expectations about the relationship. I was worried that my actions were going to mean to her a certain thing, a promise of a future together, a future of marriage and kids and and all of this. (gasps) And that terrified me. (laughs) Sucks the oxygen out of the room. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so what it came to was sitting down, looking each other in the eyes, and and, and voicing this fear. All I did was voice my fear as a fear, not as a projection of why do you expect this from me or you're putting too much pressure on me or you're making me feel trapped or smothered mm-hmm. because all she was doing was giving me love and attention and, and all these things that really I want. Which is very triggering. Which is so triggering. <laughs> I don't know why she does that. <laughs> I'm getting what I want. Oh, fuck, what am I going to do? What am I do? <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that's the example. Just wow. to sit... And the moment that conversation was over, both of us felt better, mm-hmm. even though it may not have been actually what she wanted to hear, because there had been a barrier, which was my fears and my angst and my shit, which was keeping us from being close. She had her own. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. I'm sure she still does. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, we tend to overcompensate. Like, and, and just the way you said that, it just felt like you were taking the blame mm-hmm. for that you weren't connecting because of your shit. But you have 100% responsibility and she has 100% responsibility. So just wanted to say that. Say more about that. Well, I have 100%. She has 100%. Fuck yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah. That's you have 100% responsibility and she has 100% responsibility uh-huh. to deal with your own unconscious projections onto the other. Now, you're going to project onto the other. Actually, you want to project. You want to find somebody that you can project onto because that's how you become fucking conscious. Yeah. Projection is the unconscious coming to the surface and you project it onto the other so that you can wake up. Mm. But you have, have that, you have to have that. I mean, it is, it is kung fu, man. Whew. You gotta be Ew. with you gotta wah, you gotta be on it, man, because that's the that's that's the toughest thing. <clears throat> Excuse me, that's what's gonna change the world. If we can have the training and the ability to consciously observe ourselves unconsciously acting out. In the moment. That's the only way you can do it. In the moment of choice when you're relating to someone else. Absolutely. That's the only way you can relate. There's another book called Searching for the Magical Other. Yeah, uh, I have not read it, but you woof, recommended it to me when we very first. Very important met. if you're in a relationship or you want to be. This book is very important. Searching for the magical other, it's it's called the Eden Project. I think Hollis, James Hollis, James yeah. Hollis. He's actually in um, the Bay Area. The same guy that wrote, uh, I think, started that wrote Swamplands the, of the Soul. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you're yeah. speaking dirty to me now. <laughs> Swamplands of the Soul, baby. I teach from that book. That, that's another book to read. Um, Searching for the Magical Other, the Eden Project. It's called the Eden Project because basically what we do from birth is we want to get back in the womb. Because that's heaven. Mm-hmm. The womb is oneness. Sure. You don't know any different. Okay? You pop out. You get slapped on the ass. Um, well... I have to put that on the shelf for a second, and I have to say circumcision. Put that on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to come back. Um, and from that point forward, after we come out of the womb, we try and get back into it. So we project that state unconsciously onto the other, which is impossible. So you have to catch yourself projecting this ideal state of oneness, unity, immersion, to the other and eat it mm. and chew it up, emulsify it, swallow it down, digest it, and shit it out. And then you can begin to actually relate to the other. You have to let the other be other. That's the premise of searching for the magical other. Yeah, boom. Boom. So have fun with that. Um, <laughs> we can go more. That's a whole other conversation about that because that's what I teach in my workshops. Anatomy. It's called the anatomy of emotions. What I teach that, and I teach you how to objectively observe yourself. Objectively observe yourself. Catch unconsciously yourself, acting out. Unconsciously acting out. And I love this. I just want to stick with it one more moment yeah, to yeah. reiterate it, yeah. which is. You're letting someone else be themselves. You're switching from, I want you to be this for me so I can feel complete on a subconscious level, on a cellular level, to almost a curiosity Mm -hmm. about who that other person is, which allows you to be there, which allows you to see them, which allows you to actually hear what they're saying and see how they're moving. Exactly. The only way you can do that is by being with the trigger, because you're going to get triggered when when you're allowing somebody to be themselves. And not who you think they should be. Yeah. Hello. 
have fun with that. So you put something on the shelf. I did. Put circumcision on the shelf. You wanted to talk about I that. I definitely want to talk about Let's that. Let's talk about that because that, I mean, if we're having a conversation about masculinity or men in America or male and relationship and relationship and relationship with how's the feminine, that play in? Very. I mean, it's it's crucial. Uh, I'm I'm gay. I'm a man who loves men. Mm-hmm. I'm two spirit. Um, I, I identify less as less of being gay and more of being queer. We can. That's a whole other conversation, but. Um, I'm a man who loves men. I mean, I love women too, and cats and dogs and birds and you know, anyways. <laughs> and I, I, love, I, I love my blender. You I know, and you. I love all my books. But you love men, and I love men. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so I've been with a lot of men in my life, and that's a whole other conversation as well. However, <laughs> one thing that I noticed, and through my own uh, kind of anthropological study, if you will, of male sexuality. Um, through my own experience, is that when we are circumcised, what happens? Well, we're born, which is completely crazy and violent in and of itself. We, we move from breathing liquid to breathing air. That in and of itself is, holy shit, who, what the fuck's going on? We're with our mom and our dad, whole, with the family unit, and then they, we get taken away from our mothers, strapped down, and then cut. And the most sensitive parts of our bodies on how we actually are create humanity through that. And completely traumatized. And then we give them back to our mothers. Right there, there's a huge breach in our relationship with the feminine, in our relationship with our own sexuality, our own penis, our own bodies. And that is our second wound. The first one is our umbilical cord. Mm-hmm. Now... There's all kinds of studies and all kinds of, you know, on both sides of the fence, da-da-da-da-da, all across the board. Um, but that's something that needs to be talked about when we're talking about masculinity. Because I think in many ways that, that thwarts, it's, it puts a schism in our relationship with our emotions mm-hmm. as men, as boys. Um, and then, then you add on top of that all the shame and the guilt around and the demonization around sexuality and masturbation and whatever. You know, it's, it's religion shames the body in general, let alone sexuality, right? Depending on where you grow up. I was very blessed not to be in a very religious upbringing. And I was pissed about that. And then I was like, thank God. Because mm-hmm. I got to discover it myself. But I just wanted to bring that up because it's very important in our discussion about masculinity and the patriarchy. And yeah. and some some believe, and I've read material, that, that they they started circumcision so that you could they could turn you into a warrior. Because mm. then you're less... Atta- you're less attached to your emotions and to the feminine. Oh, that's fascinating. So this was done culturally mm-hmm. because they realized that it stunted in some ways your mm-hmm. connection to your own feelings. Yep. Your access to intimacy, to, intimacy, to, yeah. to, any, any, to relating, to your own self-confidence. I've noticed throughout the years when I'm with men that are uncut and men that are cut, mm-hmm. there is a difference there's a difference in their their ease in themselves in their in their sexuality there's less shame doesn't mean there isn't shame but there's less um, there's less wounding around their their sensuality um, well now you've got me thinking too what because I've done plenty of work and there's plenty to be done with yep. my own mother and yep. and my 
resentments that seem to be there without reason towards women in certain situations. Yeah, it's pre-verbal. And, and I've never attributed it to my own circumcision. Um, not that, you know, it's about pointing fingers, but the, the opportunity that this is just something I, I have to overcome and was done to me and is a wound that is worth looking at, if, if nothing else. Definitely. It's actually, it's actually the cave. That is the cave. Yeah. That is Joseph Campbell's cave that that's I'm the dark heading towards. Cave. Yeah. yeah, that's the dark cave because it's pre-verbal wounding. It's at the, it's at the, the root, if you will, of mm-hmm. our schism between, I think, masculinity and femininity. And I've never quite said it that way before. And, and you know, I'm sure there's, you know, all different kinds of research on all different ends of that. Um, but from my own experience, uh, and, you know, I remember when I first discovered the anger that was in me about that. And I even talk, pissed off at my dad. <laughs> of course, my poor dad, gets he gets blamed for everything. Um, <laughs> but bless his heart, I love him so much. And he's been such a blessing to me and, and my journey and who I am today. Um, taught me many beautiful things and um so i was at a friend's house this is this is probably 18 years ago 19 years ago and um watching the T- pbs and just turned to pbs and all of a sudden this documentary is on about circumcision and i turned right on to this little boy literally getting strapped into this little like plastic mold legs and the the doctor's speaking, you know, over the them actually cutting this little baby and the baby is purple screaming and pain. And the doctor's saying, oh, they don't feel any pain. Purple screaming. The f- yeah. His little face was purple, screaming so loud. And the doctor is saying on top of this scene mm-hmm. that the baby doesn't feel any pain. I lost it on that couch by myself and just sobbed, wailed for an hour by myself. And just complete, like a fucking semi just ran into me. And I never realized that little boy, that little baby was inside of me. And that didn't feel pain, was squished in my body. And I found that I would sabotage the things that brought me the most joy and pleasure. The people that loved me the most. Well, shit, yeah, I'd do that too. Yeah. I'd push away, I'd cheat, I'd lie, whatever I had to do to get rid of them because of that pain that I never felt Hmm. and that was never honored. And I was pissed. I still am. I'm still fucking pissed about them cutting Mm -hmm. me Mm -hmm. that way. Cutting out, I mean, it's like this much. (laughs) No, I swear to God, no, it's like eight square inches of the most sensitive part of you Mm -hmm. is taken away or something like that. Okay. That's circumcision for you, folks. I really have to collect myself in this moment because it does still piss me off. And, and um, so, anyway, so I think that, that using the energy, anger is just about boundaries, um, and mine were cut mm-hmm. without my permission. Yeah. You know, and they do all this advocacy for women getting circumcised in Africa, right? Which I think is very important. You shouldn't be fucking cutting anybody. I don't care, you know. Um, and it needs to be addressed. Yeah, needs to be addressed in men. It, in men in our own bodies now, mm-hmm. to our sons, mm-hmm. our nieces, our nephews, whatever, and also to the um, the, the establishment, mm. the Western medicine that is just you just cut them. Yeah, 
And sometimes they force you. In some states, yeah, some countries, some states, some countries. I don't yeah. know exactly the, the, yeah. the all that, but wow. I, I've heard. Wow. So that's it's a huge thing, and I think it's you know the schism between masculinity and femininity, and and the, all the erroneous perceptions and things that are shoved down our throats and that are passed down from generation. The traditions are archaic and mm. are broken and don't work. Yeah, some are, some do work, some don't. So we, it's our duty to sift through those and, and see what works for us. Is it important even to consider things in the frame of masculinity, femininity, or is it better, or is there an alternative of just, I'm just going to look at myself, I'm just going to see who's there and work on my shit and see who I, I end up being? Or is there a power in, in using what's been passed down to us, maybe, maybe not... Not the the false beliefs, but the the hero's journey. And, I would say most beliefs, most beliefs are false. Yeah, I think falseness is innate in belief. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get in trouble for that one. Why? No, no I, I sure just, it is. I just yeah. think that belief, you know, it is gets in the way. Uh huh. Belief gets in the way of noticing actually what's there. Belief gets in the way of actually having a direct experience. Mm. Because we're, we're identified with the belief, and therefore it is a veil of actually what is in front of us. Yeah. Something like that. What, what's the saying? The, the, thing, the last thing that keeps us from having a religious experience is religion. Mm-hmm. So what's the, what's the purpose, if any, of looking at the yin-yang? Well, to ask, answer your question about the, you know, what do we do? I mean, do, we live in duality. Yeah. So it, it's, it's kind of where, it's about being where we are. Right now we're living in duality and obviously we're multidimensional and, you know, you get into quantum physics and, you know, the string theory and all these things and multidimensionality that's actually starting to be proven or theories about that are happening. You know, um, you know then, then we have no fucking idea. <laughs> right. That's the truth. Period. We have no clue. We have no fucking clue. And I think there's... I think that's where we start. Mm-hmm. It, accepting that. Accepting that. Yeah. And then being able, as Joseph Campbell says, you know, re- realize, and when you realize that it's all an illusion, subatomically, mm-hmm. where atoms, we're, we're physically connected right now, you and me. We're sitting about three feet apart, mm-hmm. you know, in the living room. Um, the couch, the floor, the rain, the garden, we're all, it's all made up of the same stuff. Photons, right. electrons, atoms. Right next to each other, right. packed microscopically next to each other. Below that, Tom. Right, and it's mainly empty space. Mm-hmm. So, with that, we know that, but we don't know that. So, with that being said, Joseph Campbell says, once you realize that it's all an illusion, then it's about participating in the illusion, knowing that it's an illusion. Mm. Well, I think that's really hard to do. And we come back to purpose. Mm-hmm. And in the Gnostic Gospels, in the Gospel of Thomas, these are the Gospels that did get put in the Bible for many reasons, because it actually gave the individuals power and direct link to the divine, rather than having to go through the church. Strategically strategically removed. Yes. Um, The Gospel of Thomas, Gnostic Gospels, one of the, and I'm going to paraphrase, I'm going to see if I can get it right. One who attains the knowledge 
and has the experience. It is their duty to accompany those who have not gained the knowledge and have not had the experience. It is the duty of those to accompany those who have not discovered that knowledge. That's purpose. Mm-hmm. It's to seek that knowledge, to find that knowledge, to embody that, and then to accompany others along their way. Yeah, and there's an interesting thing about, for some reason I have pause when you say to seek that knowledge. Because mm-hmm. it happens without seeking. Mm, yeah, it's, it's tricky. It's a tricky one. It's, uh, we're, we're kind of getting into esoteric realms of uh, you can't ask for it. Mm. It's 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 got to come from. It's got to come from. Your, it, it, yeah, I, I can't even speak to it. It's it's got to come from a, from that deep place. Um, as as Fred would say, my Fred Mintower would say. Um, we're we're searching for the the relic of your preciousness. It has to come from that place, mm-hmm. and it's a yearning. It's a it's this as Rabbi my friend Rabbi Eric Weiss. I've have some really cool friends. Uh, <laughs> I love hanging out with rabbis uh, and dragon masters and such. Um, it, it is. Um, Rabbi Weiss. What Rabbi we, what Weiss did he says, say? "Oh, nope, it's gone. Yeah, it evaporated. It'll come back." Man, so it's not the seeking. Mm. Oh, it's a remembering. Everybody has spiritual hunger. Mm. There's an ache. It's an ache. That's what leads you. It's the pull, the mm-hmm. internal draw that you you can't resist. Your dharmic path. You know, Hindus, yeah. Hindus have been doing it for thousands of years. Yeah, because seeking gets us into the the the, the mind, becomes a, a thing of goal setting. Well, that's becomes more searching, a, I think. Searching is egoic. Seeking is soulful, I would say. Okay, but then there's the other. There's the other deeper. It's a mystery. Deeper. It's a mystery because we're never going to know. Mm-hmm. And that's seeking and and searching. There is this. There's this. It's linked into why I want to know. Yeah. And, and I think that, that there's an interesting, um, as I'm speaking, I'm like, I'm, I'm uh, figuring out if this is true or not to me as I'm speaking. So it's this, I'm like, I'm like discovering it as I'm speaking with you. Um, but there, it, it's, about, it's about being in the mystery. Mm-hmm. It's about not knowing. And, and when you step into the unknown, that's when you're truly alive. Yeah. Oh man, you got to shed a lot of fear to step into the unknown with that kind of the presence. Only way you, the only way you can step in the unknown is if you have fear. Mm. If you embrace the fear. Fear is essential. Mm. Yeah. It is. It's when, it's when we try and get rid of fear, that's what fucks us up. Aha. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's the resistance. The fear. fear keeps you alive. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's a, it's a little quagmire. It for, is a quagmire. For you and for all of us. It yeah. is a quagmire because we want, we want to be fearless. 
but fear is in fearless. Well, we want to work through it. You know, we want to feel like we've gotten past it. But there's more to fear. There's always more to fear. Sure. So it's about changing your relationship to fear. There you Simply. go. Simply put, yes. Changing your relationship like, to fear. Come on, guys. Let's we do this. We got this. That's, that's what courage is. Yeah. You never know what, you don't know what courage is unless you have, unless you fear. Sure. It's sure. essential. So those, those, just like pain and suffering. Voices in my head, those millions of them, I just, I bring them along. Just like the Rumi poem, whatever's at your door, let them in. Sit them by the fire. Feed them. Listen to them. Ask them what they want. Mm -hmm. Whatever's at the door, honor it. Put it at the seat at the round table and let it have its say. Equal to everything else. Fear, judgment, resentment, anger, rage. The primal part of you that just wants to take a shit in the middle of the table. Okay, thank you for expressing yourself. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> Joy. Yeah. Enthusiasm. Whatever. And the more you do this work, the bigger the round table gets. And then the more the king, which is the one that makes the choice, the more the observing witness, which is the king, takes in all of the information from all those different aspects of ourselves and being human, Within, within a second, everybody gets, an, everybody gets a say and everybody's honored, then the king can make the choice. Mm. Yeah. I love that meditation. It's, a, you know, the king and the round table and all that stuff, you know, king, you know, and, and they're, <laughs> those days are long gone. Of kings and round tables. You yeah, mean. and honor. Yeah, and honor. Sure. And, and, and they're very much alive in all of us. I love that meditation too. It's There's great. something that speaks to me so much of, of that time of the benevolent king, of that idea of the benevolent, benevolent king. Yeah, it's a deep meditation and it's a practice. Because mm -hmm. really, we're tyrants to ourselves. It's not about anybody else. Well, sure, and it's and it's when because all of those people are in the room, already all those voices, mm -hmm. all those fears. Mm -hmm. It's just that they haven't been sat at the table where we can see them, mm -hmm. where they're both accepted yep. and checked yep. in a way. Yep. The only way that and they can used. be checked is if they're accepted. Yeah. Contained. And otherwise, if they're running around that room... Rogue. Rogue, the king, you, that center of yourself who wants to make a good decision for you and for the world, can't. Simply well, because, can't. Because the kingdom's under attack. Yeah. So that's, when, that's where tyrants are born. From within. Mm -hmm. Always from within. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm -hmm. Always from within. Yes, always from within. Who were you before your grand darkness <laughs> that turned to this journey of? I'm still very much the same person. Light. Okay, I st I really am. I think that, um, and a completely different person. I I think that that, that I am. You know, I I was in the restaurant business for 13 years before that. Before that, and waiting tables, bartending, managing, busing, you know, the whole thing. Um, I, I just misuse my power because I have charisma and, um, you know, as my dad would say, your good looks will get your foot in the door, but then you got to back it up, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a responsibility when you have that kind of power of influence and of um, the ability to inspire. And sometimes we use it for our own selfish reasons 
Which I think is also part of the process. Yeah. We have to mature out of that, which is what your 20s are for. Yeah. Bump around in the dark. That's right. Something like that. So I, I wish our teens were for that. But well, I, <laughs> but to be honest, you know, a lot of the, the like we talked about earlier, a lot of the, yeah. the the people that I'm with, the young the young guys that I'm with, are all in their early twenty, you know, mid twenties. Mm -hmm. Is the kind of people that I'm attracted to and that are attracted to me. And th these these guys that are coming in, they are so much more awake and aware and speaking this language right. and free. Obviously, because of the work that we've done. Sure. The, the wedge before them, which yeah. is kind of how we evolve. It's the evolution. This is, this is the evolution. Which yeah. is one of the way, reasons why I love hanging out with these guys, because I'm learning about the next wave of these guys mm -hmm. coming in. And, and, you know, and, and granted, they're, you know, they're millennials, and they have their own issues and problems of their own generation, as every generation does. But uh, there's an exchange happening of this mentorship that I love. And I've been mentored and still have elders in my life, you know, um, which is crucial, speaking of masculinity, of having... You know, mentors, um, and be with our elders and mm -hmm. listen to the stories, and you know, walk them across the street when they're ninety-four, mm -hmm. and walk that pace. Yeah, and lean in closer so they can hear you, and cup your ears so you can hear them. Be in that the what the elder what the elders have to offer. It's um it's essential. Speaking of masculinity, I think that's very important. Matriarchy too, of course. But well, yeah, and I think that's something that oftentimes men can struggle with who have the wounds that we've talked about that prevent us from intimacy, mm -hmm. prevent us from physical closeness mm -hmm. with other men, with anyone really. Sure. Yeah, enough to listen to the whisper, enough to look them in the eye, mm -hmm. enough to hear their voice, and it all comes back to relating. But you're so right. At a certain point, we need to both be the mentors and take that on and there's a great power that comes with that it makes sure. you want to be a better yeah. human being yeah. to be in that role and to listen mm -hmm. to have enough respect for another human being who's older who yeah doesn't know how to use their iPhone but you don't belittle <laughs> you don't belittle Hallelujah. them right. because they're not on Instagram right you take whatever right. they have to give you yeah they have something to show you for sure yeah, and well, it's, and it, and, and we can we're getting close. I can feel it, but yeah. What the one of the things that I want to say is is it's messy if you're doing it right. Mm -hmm. You can conjugate that out any different way. It's messy if you're doing it right. Pre be prepared for it to be messy. The dance is messy. The journey is messy. Yeah, and as Fred would say, the message is in the mess. Mm -hmm. mm. Let yourself be a mess. Yeah. In that's that moment. that's a big thing, yeah. Some people are so afraid of being messy or judged for doing it wrong. Oh gosh, I've been that person my Hello. whole life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's you're going to do it wrong. You have to. Yeah, like you know, my, you have to make mistakes. You have yeah. to, like Michael Jordan. He's missed more than he's made, but he had to miss all those exactly to make the big ones. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, this has been a pleasure. Yeah, dude. I want to make one request of you. What? Now what? When I, uh, yeah. Can you think of a challenge that you would have for everyone listening to go home and mm. maybe write something down or have some mm. type of interaction or do some type of meditation? Sure. Um, a challenge for everyone listening. Sure. Hi, everyone. Um, or you could direct it at me and I'll direct it at everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
because you're, you're, you're asking of something archetypal, which, is, which goes through all of us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the one person in your life that you've written off, um, it could be the brother that abused you as a little, as a little girl or a little boy, it could be your dad, it could be your mom, it could be that crazy uncle. Um, could be that homeless person you cross, you pass every day. Um, could be Trump. Could be um, that second grade teacher that you know slapped you. Find that that one person that you still have that kind of grudge or resentment toward. And I, I, what I would say is, you don't necessarily have to, you know, go to them and reconcile it. But I, I would really, there's something in that exchange that can be looked at from a different perspective. And I, and I think that there's a breach in your whole, in your own psyche, in your own emotional body, in your own pain body, um, in your own heart that is leaking energy if you're holding on to resentment or a grudge. And, and sit with that person and see if you can allow it to turn into something other than what you think it is. And see what it is and see that, that the other person was in pain as well as you. And it's something that we've inherited, and it's not our fault, but it is our responsibility mm-hmm. to transform that and not perpetuate the wound. Yeah. Something like that. Beautiful. Cool. Thanks so much. Man. Hey, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, Chase. Awesome. Amazing. And scene. And scene. Well, you did great. Thanks. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> can oh, we have whiskey now? We can have whiskey now. Okay. It's time for some whiskey. We want. Um, gosh, just thank you. Dude, that was awesome. Just absolutely gorgeous. All right, you heard Mark's challenge. It was to think of the one person in your life that you've written off because they caused you some wound. That one person you have that grudge or resentment toward. Go to them, at least in contemplation, and sit with them and really Try to see the history of your exchanges from their perspective, from another perspective. See if you can allow resentment to turn into understanding, perhaps forgiveness. See if you can heal that wound. Huge thank you to Mark Haviland. If you're in San Francisco and want transformational bodywork, please get onto his table for the good of us all. Find him online at beyondbodywork.com or Instagram at the Soul Whisperer Project. I love that. The Soul Whisperer. That's what he is. Thanks as always to Ali Chino for the music, to No Sin Records for the audio production. Thanks to you for listening. Now, go out there and love somebody.